So this morning, we're continuing in our study of the book of Philippians. We have, if I did that, we'd have four more weeks left. We have two more weeks left in the book of Philippians. Last week, we looked at the issue of anxiety and God spoke to us, I believe, about anxiety and about how we can fight anxiety. This week, we're gonna be talking, the Lord's gonna be talking about contentment. Those two are very closely linked, the idea or the concept of anxiety and the issue of experiencing and feeling content in our lives. I'd like to read you a poem, and I I wonder if you identify with this poem. This poem was written by a 14-year-old, wise beyond their years. It's entitled Present Tense. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was now winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 30 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age that I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. I think most of us can identify with this poem. It hits home. Our society is rife with discontentment and it often permeates our lives as well. We find ourselves looking, often looking for that next thing, thinking that that next thing is going to bring us contentment. And advertising doesn't help, does it? Advertising is built on the premise. Advertising tries to arouse in you a level of discontent. Think about it, when you watch an ad on TV or you pull up your phone and you see a pop-up advertisement, think about the phone. Maybe you have an iPhone 10, but you think to yourself, if I only had an iPhone 12 or an iPhone 12 Pro or Plus or whatever it's being called now, if I only had that next thing or maybe it's the Ford F-150. You know, you have a great truck. Your truck is really nice. It looks pretty good, but that Ford F-150, it now has an electrical outlet near the rear gate. I certainly need that. And if I had that, oh, I'd be so much more content. Or maybe you find yourself aging and as you look in the mirror, you see that line, that additional line in your face. For me, it's right between my eyes right here. And you think to yourself, oh, if I just had the Olay Pro X skin cream, (laughs) or maybe even Botox, then I would be content. Then I'd be happy. There's an author that has this concept that he calls happiness highs. I love that phrase, happiness highs. It's when we jump from one acquisition, activity, or relationship to another acquisition, activity, or relationship, thinking that that next activity, acquisition, or relationship is going to make us happy and content. 
It's living with the philosophy of life. The person with the most toys wins. She who has the most fun activities lined up is going to be content. Or he who has the most relationships is going to be content. And we find ourselves always striving for that next thing, that next thing that is going to make us content. And we end up realizing that that next thing doesn't make us content. Do you look for happiness highs? What is it that is going to make you feel content? Is it spring, summer, winter, fall? What is it that's going to make you content? Is it more money? Is it a new car? Is it a new house? Is it a better relationship? Is it more relationships? Is it a spouse? Is it the trip to Europe? Is it an advanced degree? What is it? Is it better skin? Is that what's going to make you content? You see, we all wrestle with discontent. What is it that's going to make us feel contented? We're all looking for the secret of contentment in any and every circumstance. This morning, the Apostle Paul shares with us the secret of contentment. Take your Bibles, if you would, and open them up to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. It's found, if you don't remember, it is found on page 953 in the Bible that the church provides. Philippians chapter four. Remember, as we go through these verses this morning, Remember that the Apostle Paul wrote these verses. He wrote this letter to the Philippians while he was in jail. And this morning, he is sharing his contentment with us while he is in jail. While he is in jail, awaiting possible execution, he shares with us the secret for contentment. Follow along, beginning in verse 10. We're gonna read through verse 13 this morning. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. In these verses, Paul shares that he has learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, just like this piques our interest, it would have caught the attention of the original reader as well. The word content here comes from a Greek word that means self-sufficient or independent. Contentment was a virtue within the Greek society of Paul's day like it is a virtue within our society today. 
There was a group during the days of times of Paul that were called the Stoics, and the Stoics elevated this word contentment. In fact, their main goal of life, the Stoics' main goal of life was to be content, which they believed came from being totally self-sufficient. The Stoic believed that contentment was reached when you had come to a point of total indifference, where nothing bothered you, Then and only then would you be content. Contentment was to them self-sufficiency. In other words, you sort of thought yourself into an I don't care kind of attitude. One of their philosophers, Epictetus, writes this. Look what he says. Begin with a cup or a household utensil. If it breaks, say, I don't care. Go on to a horse or a pet dog. If anything happens to it, say, I don't care. Go on to yourself, and if you're hurt or if you're injured in any way, I don't care. And if you go on long enough, and if you try hard enough, you'll come to a state when your nearest and dearest suffer and die, and you say, I don't care. This is what the Stoics meant by contentment. It's self-sufficiency to the extreme. That was the Stoics' idea of contentment. It was not Paul's meaning for contentment. You see, the Stoics believed that contentment was found in self-sufficiency and in indifference. Paul believed that contentment was not about self-sufficiency, it was about Christ's sufficiency. Not self-sufficiency, but Christ's sufficiency. It was not the goal in Paul's mind to come to a point of saying, I don't care. The goal of contentment was coming to the point of saying, Jesus is enough. Amen. You see, contentment is a state of satisfaction, of rest, of peace, no matter what the circumstances you're facing, whether you have a lot or whether you have little, you recognize that Jesus is enough. We've talked about the concept of joy and fighting, through, fighting for joy All throughout these past number of weeks, we've defined joy as a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. You cannot have joy without being content. And Paul tells us this morning that self-sufficiency, independence, is not contentment. Christ's sufficiency and believing and proclaiming that Christ is enough is what brings satisfaction, rest, and peace. So what Paul does this morning is he provides us with three steps to contentment and then the secret of contentment. Three steps and then the secret. So let's look at the first step. The first step in contentment or towards contentment, or to contentment, is to rejoice in God's provision. Look at the first part of verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. 
Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Paul, once again, while in prison, expresses his joy. This time, it says he rejoices greatly. This is the first time he said, I rejoice greatly. He's thrilled by this gift, this financial gift from the Philippian church. Now, he doesn't say exactly why they didn't give for a period of time. He simply says that they lacked opportunity. Here, he exclaims, he demonstrates, he writes about his gratitude for the gift. But notice that Paul is not rejoicing simply in the gift. He is rejoicing greatly in the Lord. Paul recognized that this gift was God's provision for him. He knew that it was in God's hands. You see, the first step toward contentment is to rejoice in God's provision. This starts by acknowledging that everything that we have, everything that we have comes from God. Now, we live in a world where we tend to think to ourselves, well, I worked really hard. I'm pretty intelligent. I got after that thing, and this is what I accomplished. We live in a world where many of us think we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. The reminder here is that every single thing that you have comes from God. Every blessing that you ever have experienced comes from God. Now, if somebody provides you with a gift, if somebody comes to you and meets your need, surely you should be thankful. You should be grateful to them for their generosity, for their gift. But this is telling us that you need to recognize that ultimately that gift is from God. Everything you have Everything that you've received, all of the blessings in your life are the provision of God. We need to know that all of these things are ultimately from the Lord, which means we need to recognize that God is sovereign, which means that God is in control, that he has his hands in all things, that he is working everything out for his purposes and for your ultimate good. Did you hear me? God is providing for you. He is meeting your needs. We should rejoice greatly in the provision, recognizing that God is sovereign. He's in control. He is working out everything for his purposes and for your ultimate good. George Mueller knew about the sovereign provision of the Lord. George Mueller was a 19th century person who started an orphanage along with his wife. If you're not familiar with George Mueller, I will tell you this morning, he would make an excellent role model. Mueller starts this orphanage and he started it with the principle. Now recognize Mueller had no resources of his own. He had no resources to operate the orphanage. And he recognized that the Lord would need to provide and he was grateful for the Lord's sovereign provision. Listen to this. George Mueller never let anyone know about the financial needs of the orphanage. He never shared the needs of the orphanage with anybody. All George Mueller ever did was pray to the Lord and ask the Lord to provide. And the Lord always provided for the needs of the children. They never went without food. They never went without shelter. They never went without care. But Mueller never 
shared those needs with anyone but the Lord himself. Now that doesn't mean they didn't come down to the wire. There was a year in 1842, there was a day in 1842 when they only had food remaining for that day. The coal was going to run out in two or three days. Mueller recognized their great need, so he goes to the Lord and he prays and he writes in his journal, God, if you do not show up, Lord, if you do not provide, your name will be dishonored. Please provide. The next morning, Mueller walks to the orphanage looking forward to seeing how God will provide that day. It was nine o'clock in the morning when Mueller arrives at the orphanage and the Lord had already provided. You see, there was a businessman that was walking by that morning, a wealthy businessman who was walking by that morning and as he walked by, he looks at the orphanage and he thinks to himself, I wonder if any of those kids are in need today. And he says to himself, well, you know what? I'm gonna keep walking and I'll come back tonight and I'll provide tonight. And the businessman testifies that he could not walk another step, that he was frozen in his feet in the ground at that point, and it says he was confined to turn and go back and provide for the need. And he provided the need for the next two days. You see, George Mueller understood the sovereign provision of the Lord and he recognized that the Lord himself was moving for the, his purposes and for his ultimate good. You see, you and I, we need to recognize, we need to rejoice in God's provision. Whatever God has given you, he has provided you. He has met all of your needs. Not necessarily all of your wants, but he has met all of your needs. My friends, Jesus sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. And as a result, he provides for all of your needs. The first step to contentment is rejoice in the provision of the Lord. Second step, second step for contentment, understand that contentment is unconnected to circumstances. Boy, you hear that one? <laughs> Understand that contentment is unconnected to circumstances. Now, I can go with that rejoice in the provision of the Lord. I think that one's pretty easy, relatively speaking. This one is a lot more difficult because most of us think to ourselves if I just had more money, I'd be content. If I had more friends, I'd be content. If I had a spouse, I'd be content. If I had that opportunity to take that trip to Europe, I'd be content. That's not what Paul says to us here. Look at verses 11 and 12. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here in these verses, Paul stresses that his contentment did not increase or decrease based upon material things. More stuff is not going to bring you more satisfaction. More fun activities are not going to bring you satisfaction. Not even more relationships, but neither will less stuff because contentment is not connected to the stuff. Paul had lived 
tells us here, he had lived on both ends of the spectrum. He had experienced times of great need. He had experienced times where things were plentiful. He did not seek contentment. He did not seek satisfaction in material things when he didn't have them. And he didn't find his satisfaction in material things when he did have them. You see, there's a danger we make and we think to ourselves that we will be content if we have wealth and we will be discontent if we do not have wealth. But we need to recognize that there is a danger in wealth and in poverty. There is a danger in wealth when we come to recognize or, excuse me, think to ourselves that we will be content with wealth and what that ends up being is just a form of greed. If I have more, then I will be content. Look what Solomon writes about wealth. Whoever loves money will never have enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Then look what Paul writes to Timothy and those who are rich. This is directed to those who are rich. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, Paul calls attention here to the benefits of wealth, doing good and being generous, but also clearly points out the dangers and the temptations the dangers and the temptations, arrogance and misplaced trusts, trust that results in an empty life. Wealth does not equal contentment. Have you ever met a rich person who is discontented? Yes. Wealth does not equal contentment. It is because contentment is unconnected to circumstances. But keep in mind that greed is not limited to people that have wealth. People who have less can also suffer from greed. People who do not have wealth can often be greedy. The desire for money can cause people who have less to lie, to cheat, to steal, to manipulate, to not work for their, for their keep. You see, it works both ways. Contentment cannot be found with wealth and contentment cannot be found for those who have less because contentment is a matter of the heart. Have you ever met a person who is poor who is contented? Yes, that is because contentment is unconnected to our circumstances. Because contentment is a matter of the heart. Which leads us to the third step. The third step to contentment. Number one, rejoice in God's provision. Number two, contentment understand that contentment is unconnected to circumstances. And the third step, contentment is learned. 
Look how clearly Paul states this concept. Look at verse 11. He declares, I have learned to be content. In verse 12, he kind of repeats it. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. Now, I hope this is encouraging. I hope it's encouraging that Paul is telling this, that contentment is not something that comes naturally. It doesn't come naturally for me. I don't know if it comes naturally for you. I highly doubt it. This may be stating the obvious. Naturally, we're prone to compare ourselves with others. We always want more than we have. Think about Adam and Eve. They're in a perfect environment and they want more than they have. We often think that other people's success comes at a cost to us. And think about how much we often complain. Every time we complain, every time you complain, it is a demonstration of your discontent. Do I have any complainers out there? Yeah, don't raise your hand on that one. (laughs) I was kind of curious if anyone was going to raise their hand. We could all raise our hand. Because we all experience times in our lives when we complain, and that complaining is proof positive of the fact of the discontent that we feel in our lives. But the encouragement is that it took Paul a lot of experiences to learn contentment. He learned to be content when he had plenty. He learned to be content when he had little. I think about Paul and I think about the times when he had plenty. I have to think that Paul spent some pretty good times with Lydia. Remember, Lydia is the wealthy business owner in Philippi. I have to think she probably threw some pretty miraculous parties, some good food, some good times. And Paul had spent time with Lydia, but Paul also spent time without food, sleeping outdoors on the floor, speaking, writing from prison, awaiting a death sentence. You see, Paul experienced plenty, and Paul also experienced little and want. You see, God works in our lives teaching us during the times of plenty, and he works in our lives teaching us when we have needs and wants. And his goal in these times is to teach us to be content, to teach us to be satisfied, to experience freedom, to experience peace through the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing that Jesus provides in the plenty and Jesus provides when we have needs because he sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. And Jesus is teaching us to be content. A couple of months ago, my daughter Kate called home, called her mother actually, It was a Sunday night. She calls home to kind of talk with her mom about the weekend and she calls and she's she's discontent. She was unhappy. And I asked her if it was okay if I shared this. So she gave me her permission to share this. She calls home and she's unhappy. She's feeling discontent. You see, she had experienced an incredible weekend. She experienced a weekend that was full of fun, one fun thing after another, hanging out with friend after friend, and it was just a fun, full weekend. But now it was Sunday night. And in our family, often we call Sunday nights the time when we experience the Sunday night blues. Some of you may refer to them as the Sunday scaries. But Kate was feeling discontented. So Jen says to her, she says, you know, Kate, 
It's great you had a wonderful weekend. But it sounds like you're finding your fulfillment in all of these fun activities. And now you're experiencing the low after the high of the fun. And life is full of these highs and these lows. And Kate, you need to come to a point where you recognize that contentment can only be found in Jesus Christ and through him. Now, Kate could have reacted poorly to that, <laughs> but she didn't. She received it well and she said, you know what, mom, you're probably right. I need to spend more time seeking contentment through Jesus. And you see, it was in that experience of experience a time of plenty, a time of a lot of fun, and then traveling down to a time where she wasn't so much fun. And in that change from plenty to want, she's starting to learn contentment. She learned and we learned as well. For all of us, that's what happens in our lives. We learn to be contented. Three steps to contentment. Rejoice in the provision of the Lord. Recognize that contentment is unconnected to our circumstances. Take solace in the fact that contentment is learned. And Paul now shares with us the secret of contentment. The secret to being able to take all the steps of contentment. You may think, well, maybe those steps are easy. I don't think all those steps are so easy. I think they're difficult. So what Paul does here is he shares with us the secret to be able to take all of those steps. You see, ultimately, we find our contentment in and through our relationship with Jesus. Because you know Jesus and Jesus knows you, because you have Jesus, you can be content because of his power that works in you and works through you. Not your power, his power. And I have to say here, for those of you who are listening, who have not yet decided to follow or believe in Jesus, in your life, you may experience times of happiness some times of contentment, but you will never be fully content until you come to a point of believing in Jesus and receiving him as your Lord and Savior and experiencing his power. Now look at verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. You see it on t-shirts, you see it on posters, you see it on cups. It may be your personal life verse. It's continually, continuously in the top 10 verses in all of the Bible, and it should be. It's a great verse. The problem is, is we often misinterpret it and misapply this verse. Some of your translations say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that leads us to believe that if I pray to the Lord Jesus Christ to strengthen me, he's gonna strengthen me and he's gonna give me an A on a test that I didn't study for. If I want a bigger house, he's gonna strengthen me so I can go out and I can buy a bigger house. He's gonna strengthen me so I can win the football game. 
And we misapply and misinterpret this verse. And my friends, I could pray this verse all day long and I am never going to be able to dunk a basketball. And I'm never going to be able to play pro hockey. It would be a misinterpretation and a misapplication of this verse. So this verse must be governed by its context. That's why the NIV interprets it the way that it does. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Did you see that? Underline that. All this through Jesus Christ's strength and power I can rejoice. Through Jesus Christ's strength and power, I can come to understand, I can recognize that my contentment is not connected to the circumstances in my life. Through Jesus Christ's strength and power, I will learn to be content in all situations. You see, what Paul is saying here is that when you are living in the will of Jesus Christ, his strength and his power will reside in you and through you to accomplish the will of Jesus Christ. Now, if the will of Jesus Christ is that you play in the the NFL, or the NHL, then so be it. He will strengthen you to do that, but that is not his will for everybody. If his will is that you have a new house, he will strengthen you to have the new house. But the key here is, is in the context, you have to be in the will of Jesus Christ. And you have to be seeking him and seeking to obey what he has for you. Remember, at all times, God is working for his purposes to bring glory to himself. And at the same time, he is working for your ultimate good. Those things work themselves together. And he strengthens you to be part of it when you are working in alignment with his will. Understand? It's not just all things. It's all of this. And this refers to the things that are in Christ's will. So whenever you feel like you have a lack, when you have a lack of finances, when you have a lack of relationships or a lack of popularity or a lack of beauty, live in the will of Jesus Christ and he will be all you need. He is going to be sufficient for you in every situation. When you find yourself in those difficult situations, when you find yourself in a health struggle, when someone you love has passed away, when you find yourself in financial difficulty, recognize that Jesus Christ is working through for his purposes, for his glory, and for your ultimate good. And he has said to you that he is sufficient, that Jesus Christ has told you, he's told us, he's telling us this morning that he is enough, yes, he is. that he is all you need, and that you will find contentment in and through him. There's a story about Paul that did not make it into the Bible. Paul, as you know, is spending time in Rome. He's in prison while he's in Rome. And there was a wealthy business person who wanted to meet Paul. He had heard of the exploits of Paul. He had heard of Paul's adventure. He had heard Paul's testimony and he wanted to meet the apostle Paul. So when he was traveling through Rome one day, he contacts Timothy. 
contacts Timothy and says to Timothy, Timothy, I'd like to meet the apostle Paul. So Timothy lines up the meeting. When the business person walks into Paul's cell, he looks at Paul and Paul looks rather old and frail. But as he talks with Paul, he senses and experiences Paul's joy, his contentment, his confidence, the hope that he has in Jesus Christ. He senses the serenity of Paul's spirit, the magnetism of his personality, the power of his purpose. Well, eventually he leaves his time with Paul and he walks out and he says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, what's the secret? What's Paul's secret? Timothy responds and he says, Paul's in love. And the man looks at him puzzled and says, in love? And he says, yes. He's in love with Jesus Christ. The man says, is that all? Timothy smiles and responds, that is everything. My friends, that is everything. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.